Veterans Path, helping veterans find peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor through practical tools like meditation and mindfulness, physical and outdoor experiences, and a community of camaraderie. I'm John McCaskill, a Navy SEAL commander turned mindfulness teacher. Here on the Veterans Path podcast, I interview veterans, athletes, corporate leaders, and many others who found peace through the practices of meditation and mindfulness, breaking down the stigma of pursuing mental health and making it a priority, improving and saving lives. My guest on today's episode is Army Master Sergeant and social worker Jessica Ridenauer. Jessica has served in the U.S. Army for 17 years. After 10 years of active duty service, Jessica chose to prioritize her graduate education and continue her service in the Army Reserves. Being a citizen soldier has allowed Jessica to have concurrent paths as both a civilian and soldier, giving her autonomy to obtain broad experiences in her areas of interest. Jessica has served as a troop leader, victim advocate, and division director of resiliency and comprehensive wellness where she and her team drove data-informed decisions and initiatives to enhance health, wellness, quality of life, and readiness for over 14,000 U.S. personnel, foreign soldiers, and their families. Jessica has worked in several community roles as a social worker, giving her a holistic view of obstacles and consideration that the veteran community faces. Jessica uncovers trends on how strong stigmas impact employer diversity and veteran employability. She furthers her study on how barriers to accessible and affordable mental health care, substance abuse addiction treatment, suicide prevention resources, sleep health, and homelessness have a disparate impact on the veteran community. Most recently, Jessica is researching evidence-based practice with her social science peers and advocates for the recognition and expansion of non-traditional mental health treatment modalities for veterans and other survivors of trauma. These diverse experiences aggregate, allowing Jessica to speak on wellness from a whole person concept. She broadens the conversation beyond the veteran to their support systems and barriers, the intersectionality of the individual and how veterans are challenged with stigmas, social norms, geopolitical awareness, and our culture's approach to mental health care, all impacting wellness, how well we define it, how we obtain it, and how it is recognized in our population. Jessica is recognized for her volunteer work with nonprofits for children with disabilities, early childhood education, and her mentorship to veterans and their spouses transitioning from the military into civilian life. We're going to learn a lot more about Jessica in this episode of the Veterans Path Podcast. All right. Welcome to the show, Jessica. Thank you very much. How's San Antonio treating you? San Antonio is chilly and foggy right now. Oh, really? It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little chilly here too. Not uh, not foggy though right now. So, um, look, I know in the in the military you've moved around a lot. Um, how many times have you moved around in your seventeen years in the military? Uh, well, in my uh, whole life, about twenty, and in the military, probably about twelve. Oh wow! And then San Antonio, they they've got a pretty huge military population there, right? Yes, we're known as Military City because of the large aggregation of military bases here. Air Force, Army, Marines, and Navy all have a presence here in the city. Wow. And did the military take you to San Antonio? No, I came to San Antonio for a civilian opportunity. 
So before I get into our questions, I'm trying to start every show by letting our listeners know what we do at Veterans Path and then further why we're doing this show specifically. So Veterans Path, we introduce veterans to meditation and mindfulness, typically in outdoor settings, so they can rediscover peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor. And that's where the word path in our name comes from. And the point of this podcast specifically is to make people more aware of what we do to increase support and attendance at our retreats while simultaneously reducing the stigma around seeking mental health support. So listeners can directly support Veterans Path by clicking on the support button on the podcast or by visiting veteranspath.org forward slash donate. Okay, so that all behind us, let's get into it. So we were saying that you moved to San Antonio. And now, are you originally from Texas? I've spent most of my life in Texas, but I was born in Iowa and have traveled all around. Okay. And then how long have you been there after this move? I've been here for about 18 months. And you're there with your family. What's your family makeup look like? So I have three daughters and a fiance and family that has moved close by to be a support system since um, we aren't active duty anymore, and we're deciding to stay in one location. Family can come and be near us finally without yes, us for nice. their entire life. Yeah, yeah I, I'm looking forward that to that as well. Uh, you know, I've, I've moved around quite a bit, and I'll be getting out next year. And I'm I'm looking forward to settling down somewhere where uh, I don't have to move around, move away from you know, within a couple of months or a couple of years. Um, <laughs> can Can you speak to the stress of of being uh, a, at one point, single military mother and, and the coping, coping mechanisms you have for that? Yeah, so um, I left active duty for my family and to pursue my civilian graduate education. It just wasn't feasible being on active duty with all the training and deployment um, that we had. So I had a full-time job as a civilian. I was a part-time soldier as a reservist, and I was also a full-time graduate student. I had three daughters, still have, and at that time, my spouse was deployed. So it's really been through my graduate education in social work that I really started talking about how stress impacts us, wellness, and how it impacts our mental health, because I was going through that in my degree program. And it really allowed me to take an internal look at how I was living my life and how I was dealing with my own stress. And since that time in my life, I've been asked, how did I do that? And during that time in my life, I was, how did you even make all that happen? So aside from being extremely organized and having internal motivation, um, I really made fitness and boundaries a priority. So I drew in, I said no to other people, and I focused on my immediate family unit. I made sure that I worked out, I ate healthy, and I slept. And I talked about sleep like it, I did it very well, but actually in all my wellness journey then, sleep is what suffered the most for me. I didn't have good sleep hygiene then, and I learned a lot about that. It really is what helped me push through is those three things. I, I do want to talk about the sleep hygiene uh, down further in the conversation, but um, for for a lot of our listeners, we've got veterans that listen, but we also have uh, those who are not necessarily veterans and don't necessarily know the, the kind of the ins and outs of what Army Reserve is. So can you describe a month in an Army Reservist kind of in generic terms, and, you know, again, I want to stay on this side of the, the line since you are still in the military, and I don't want to get you in trouble with your judge advocate <laughs> or your public affairs folks, but can you just generally talk about what Army Reserve life looks like? 
So it really depends what kind of unit you're in, just like active duty military. But most reservists are what we call traditional drilling reservists. So they are expected to do a weekend a month and two weeks a year. And so that can be a Saturday or Sunday, or if you're with a unit that does a real-world mission, it can be a Monday and a Tuesday. And so you're expected to balance your military obligation and your civilian life concurrently. Right. And, and so right now I'm currently serving uh, for the Navy on what's called full-time support. And we support the, the reserve side, preparing them for mobilization and deployment, so similar to what, what you guys do as far as the reservists, we call it cell res, elective reservists in the Navy. I support this the cell res. Um, so as far as balancing that civilian life and that military life, that's that's difficult to juggle, right? It really can be, especially um, I've had soldiers that were doctors and they'd have to leave their practice to come in and do duty. And you just get a whole gamut of different career backgrounds and career fields that come into your unit. It's really an amazing um, broad spectrum of people that can come and be a part of a reserve unit. So as far as you and you're pursuing your civilian career, your civilian um, schooling initially, what made you decide to pursue social work? My entire life, I've been doing things social work alike. So even in the military, I was a victim advocate, a suicide prevention person and I really was focused on resilience and wellness as a leader and even before that um, I was very interested in psychology and counseling and as I finished my bachelor's degree I had intended to go be a psychiatrist and I went and interviewed with psychiatrists and they said don't be a psychiatrist don't be a social worker because you get to um, really have a more broad opportunity for research and you can dabble in different modalities if you get burnt out and so I shied away from the psychology psychiatry part and I went and um, obtained my degree in social work. So those those modalities um, in our pre-interview you mentioned being the jack of all trades and and I know we addressed some of the western culture methods for addressing um, depression, stress, anxiety and you, you even touched on some non-traditional modalities could you tell us more about your research in this area? Yes. And so what really got me started here is my social work cohort was around the globe. And so while I was going through school, I had people that were stationed in Europe and Spain and Germany, all sorts of places. And they would really talk about the culture there where they lived and how they approach things differently. And so as we were going through our studies, we really saw the difference in cultures and how they approach things. And so some of the non-traditional modalities that some of my peer group is studying and some of the experts that we follow, they range from everything from herbal remedies, acupuncture, reflexology, yoga, massage, guided imagery, and they go into more intense approaches such as utilizing marijuana and DMA, psilocybin, which all three of those things, by the way, have recently in the last few years been approved by our FDA here in the United States for trials. And so we know those things are working in other countries. And I'm just really excited to see how they'll be able to work here with our culture and some of the problems. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I know that's very counterintuitive in Western culture to think about using some of those methods um, to to address uh, mental health. Uh, and so that's uh, yeah, that's very interesting. I'm going to have to do more research on that. 
in our, in our pre-interview and in the intro that I covered, uh, you you address wellness from the whole of person angle, and you you even mentioned that a little bit earlier, or touched on it, uh, where you talked touched on sleep hygiene and fitness, working out. What what exactly what else does the whole of person angle entail? So to really understand what I mean by this, I'm going to take a step back and talk a little bit about the cultural differences. Um, the reason okay. this is important before we get into the whole person concept is. We don't approach weeding Westerners, don't approach um, things like depression the same as other cultures. And so it, how we treat it is very different. So, for example, Eastern cultures approach emotions like sadness as a normal thing. And they also believe that sadness can coexist with other emotions. They think that negative emotions can flow in and out of a person's way of being. And they're not perceived as threatening like they are here. Um, they really approach things like negative emotions, sadness, and depression as a temporary facet to how they live. And they believe in even the most common occurrences that there can, that are very positive, there can even be a glimmer of sadness. So they can have coexisting emotions that can all come together. Um, when they get sad or depressed, they don't isolate themselves. They stay socially engaged because they don't want to make others feel bad or worried for their individual self. And this continued socialization may be the foundation of why they have less anxiety and depression in Eastern societies. Westerners, us, we tend to think of emotions such as um, in opposites. So if we're sad, we cannot be happy. If we're happy, we are not sad. And we're less inclined to view these negative emotions as a temporary being. We view them more of as a constant. And so our way of coping with these negative emotions are suppression, redirection, or rumination. And that's counterproductive to um, what makes us better, which is socialization and connection with other people. So when you think about how we handle these things differently, you can kind of understand um, the things we're going to talk about in the whole person concept on how to be well as a whole person. Um, we tend, we being Westerners, we tend to think about wellness as an individual journey all in itself. And we, we tend to think about it as being a state of mind. Well, we really leave several things out when we think about it that way. We don't think about the intersectionality of wellness. We don't consider the physical, emotional, and biological portions of being well for the individual. And I suggest that we look beyond the individual and expand our wellness to our immediate family and that family's wellness maturity and their health. What does your support system look like? What is the quality of life in, in your everyday living? What is your commute like? What is your diet? What materials are you absorbing in the news through your music? There's a Buddhist and Vietnamese monk named Thich Nhat Hanh, and he wrote a book called Anger. And he right. simply explains how to relax the bondage and weight of your anger through mindfulness. And he doesn't just talk about mindfulness in your brain and your thoughts, but he talks about mindfulness in every part of our life to include what you eat, what you think, and what you read, and what you watch on TV. Um, he, he does it very beautifully. I recommend that book. Yeah, so, I mean, with, with that, you're constantly going back to the news, because I, uh, I kind of want to touch on that, because it's really fascinating to me, because... I, I will be honest, I've made a very intentional effort to cut back on the news that I watch because I feel that the news these days is so polarizing. Uh, and I won't get into the politics of, of it all, but just news writ large. 
Um, and cutting back on that has dramatically um, affected my, my morale, my sense of wellness, like you touched on. And that sense of wellness is much grander than, than just that, that state of mind, as you said, the, the Western cultures basically assume that wellness is a state of mind, but it's much grander than that. It, to include cutting back on the negativity, but also getting out there into community being with friends, being with family. And I know that's a big part of why uh, you mentioned earlier in the show, being in San Antonio is so nice because you're closer to family and, and you're not going to be uprooted with the military because you're moving, you know, in a, in a couple of years, you can actually be in one place for some extended period of time and be close to that community, that support system that you touched on. Absolutely. And I've actually, I've had times in stressful portions of my life where I didn't have family per se, blood family, but in true military fashion, I had a very close tribe of friends that were supportive and available. And those can be just as important, those connections that aren't familial, if you will. Right, right. Absolutely. I mean, and that in the military, that uh, those connections become your family. I mean, it's a military family of sorts. I mean, you are deployed for months, years at a time in locations that are austere, doing dangerous missions or just focusing exclusively on your work. And it's the people that are around you that whole time. So let's say if you're working, you know, 16 hour days, 17 hour days, and you are in uh, the, the heat of it with somebody for that 17, 18 hours, whatever. Um, I mean, there's no way that you can't become family. Um, so right. and you have to you have to start leading on one another because your time zones apart from your family back home, you're geographically separated from your family back home. So you end up leaning heavily on that support system that is right there with you. Absolutely. And we haven't even started talking about trauma bonding and team bonding yet. <laughs> yeah, well, let's get let's get into that. So trauma bonding and team bonding. What what is trauma bonding? Uh, trauma bonding can be considered anything stressful that you go through with another person or with a group of people, and it can create a very strong bond. So even with Lancy, we talk about um, when we come back to our families after a deployment and what that means for our families. And there's often talk about jealousy. Our families can be jealous that we created these strong bonds with these people that we served with. And that's a completely natural feeling because they can't reach the level of bonding per se that you obtained while you were in another country or going through a stressful event with your team. And I mean, those levels of bonding, that's, that's the thing is that there's, there's different levels. Sure. But there's also different ways of bonding. I mean, I will never bond with my military family the same way I do with my, my blood family, but at the same time, I, I don't compare they're like apples and oranges, but at the same time, it is a very tight bond that I have with my military family. Um, one that will never be replicated by my blood family. So it's like, like I was starting to say, it's like comparing apples and oranges. Absolutely. And I think we have to allow that to be true, that you can have different types of bonding with different people. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, you have mentioned in, uh, in, again, the pre-interview, you've got your own personal meditation practice. Um, and without naming any particular apps, can you tell me how you got started with with meditation? So 
approaching wellness. I was physically fit. My labs were great. And I was just like, you know, what's going on? I'm not handling stress the way I used to. And so I came across a friend and she's like, look, start meditating. This will really, this will really help you. Well, I tried meditating and meditating and I failed miserably. I couldn't even keep my, my brain and my thoughts still for more than like 30 seconds. And so I went to an amazing app to assist me with that. And it really taught me how to slow down my thinking, um, almost a crawl, walk, run approach. And anyone in the army will know what that means. <laughs> and uh, in the Navy too. Yeah. So it starts with five or 10 minute bursts of just, Hey, come back. This application is amazing. And just come back to the meditation, come back to the meditation. And the individual that talks you through this meditation really is skilled in knowing when your brain might be wandering. And so you just do that every day for 10 minutes and eventually you're doing it for 20 minutes and then 30 minutes. And then you can really start um, focusing on other concentrations such as sleep or maybe having better study habits, reducing stress and anxiety. Um, It has really been an amazing practice in my wellness journey. Nice. And I mean, that's what uh, so many people, uh, I think they think that, as soon as their mind starts wandering, they need to quit or that they're not a good meditator. And uh, then you tell them about these apps and they're like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to use an app to meditate. Um, I think there's two misconceptions. There are one in that if your mind starts wandering, you can't meditate. Everybody's mind wanders. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's like, uh, it's like trying to stop your heart from beating. Um, Your mind is going to wander. It's just the act of noticing that and then coming back to what it is you're trying to do your focus point your anchor that act in and of itself is being mindful and that helps to rewire your brain and the second misconception is that using an app is is weak Uh, i mean so many people start that way and i mean i still use an app uh, uh, on on occasion i try to do my own meditations but there's times when uh, I, I honestly just want to be guided through a meditation by somebody else. And I, I will use an app and there's thousands of them out there. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's great. So you started with an app. Yes. And I'm glad you talked about everyone's mind wanders, because if you just think about when you step outside your household, you can have the most calm and relaxed environment in your home. But as soon as you step out, you are inundated with task saturation, everything vying for your attention Every news application now is a, is a flick up the news app so you can see the next story and just read a headline and try to get an opinion quickly. Commercials are in short bursts now. It reminds me of the movie Wally, where there's just so much advertisement <laughs> everywhere. So it's unrealistic to think that you're going to go through your whole day like that, answering hundreds of emails, physically demanding jobs, and you're going to come home and your brain is just going to be able to be still and meditate. You literally are going to have to retrain your brain and create new neural pathways so you can meditate successfully. It's right. It's going to take a discipline to do that. Absolutely. And I, I gift this to my children. Um, they don't use the same application as me, but they really have one that they adore. And I see my children be so much more calm um, in their app. And the application I'm referring to um, starts with a positive affirmation that's applicable to little people. And it teaches them how to be good humans. It talks about that for three to four minutes. And then it's a meditation for about five minutes. And you can increase the meditation as your children mature in their understanding of being still and meditating. And it's been fabulous for our household. 
Oh, that's fantastic. I was going to ask you whether you did meditation with your with your family. So that's uh, that's outstanding that they that they're starting to do it um, at a young age as well. So uh, as far as benefits that you personally have experienced of uh, since you've been practicing, can you talk to some of those? What those look like? I've really seen an increase in the um, so peak fitness and. I've seen an increase in my fitness levels in maintaining healthy weight and being resilient in not being as forgetful. So assistance with memory, your emotional balance and having a stronger immune system. So not feeling, um, not getting a cold as often, not getting inundated with, you know, all of the seasonal allergies that come about. And so I've noticed a difference in all facets of my life when I started focusing on wellness and sleep hygiene. Um, along with the social work that you do, you do a lot of volunteer work with nonprofits. Um, which nonprofits are you doing volunteer with, and and what are their their missions? So I have three nonprofits that are really my priority focus right now. Uh, Veterati is the one I spend most of my time on, and that's a digital mentorship oh, yeah. platform yeah. for veterans and spouses, and it helps them in their transition from military life into civilian life and obtaining employment. And it is, as a mentor, it is one of the most respectful uses of my time so I can mentor mentor other people. And it has been a phenomenal experience with me. The other one is Objective Zero. So it's also about yeah. wellness yep. and mental health resources. And I'm, I really enjoy how they push out information uh, to the military community and to having peer support. And then the third one really... Is, I'm often on with volunteering with them, but they're near and dear to my heart, and it's Avance. It's a nonprofit organization. They assist under-resourced and hard-to-reach low-income families of young children. They're trying to overcome isolation and lack of opportunities, and they take a multiple-generation approach to education relationship building, so helping parents be better parents and helping children um, grow up to be great humans when they get older. Nice. Yeah, that, that one, I'm sure, well, I'm sure all three are rewarding. Um, I'm familiar with Veterati. I'm also, we are familiar with Objective Zero from Veterans Path as we're starting to work to potentially partner with them um, and get, get listed as a resource for them. So for those who are not familiar with Objective Zero, their mission, that whole Objective Zero, is to bring the suicide uh, rate from 22 a day amongst military veterans down to zero. That's their objective, zero. Um, and then I love the nonprofit working with children. Uh, honestly, there's, there's no population that I would rather work with <laughs> and support than, than our future leaders, our future uh, adults, right? But as they're so young and you can actually influence them, and that's great that you're doing that. Uh, we've covered a lot here and coming up on about a half hour and probably coming close to the end of the, the show here. What's what's one thing we haven't spoken about that you wanted to make sure we address? If you'd like, I can talk more about cultural differences in sleep sure. We spoke earlier about how culturally different we approach the expression of our emotions between cultures. Uh, and also, we approach sleep very differently. Maps are more acceptable in other countries, like Spain and Europe, for example. Even beds are different. We sleep on mattresses, but that's not always true. Other countries. They sleep on futons, hammocks. Um, they sleep on rock beds, which is really a marble slab that can be heated or cooled, and they just put a blanket oh, over wow. them. 
in Norway and Sweden, it's common to leave babies outdoors and they have nap time outside, even when it's cold, because they believe the fresh air is good. So they don't always sleep inside like we do. And in Japan, it's not unusual or even taboo or rude at all to just sleep in public. Just go to sleep on a bench or at work in your chair because they consider it considered a time saver. That makes sense. I know. (laughs) Uh, Guatemalans have worry dolls. And so they acknowledge that worrying and rumination keeps us awake. And so they give worry dolls and you tell the doll your worries and you place it under your pillow and the doll holds those so you can sleep peacefully and undisturbed. It's a cultural norm for them. Wow. I've never heard that. (laughs) And I've seen worry stones here and I've heard some other things called differently. But if you just acknowledge that other countries do it very differently, then that opens up how you could focus on sleeping. Another thing that we don't talk about very often is sleep debt. So many years ago, we used to think that once you didn't get sleep, your body was damaged and that was it. But now we know that you can replenish the damage that your body received by not getting enough sleep. And so it takes about four days to recover from one hour of lost sleep. And you recover that by doing it in little bursts, like maybe sleeping 15 or 20 minutes more each night or taking a nap. And you can reverse some of the damage and replenish your sleep debts. So if you are more tired because you had to wake up early to go to the airport, then just sleep a little bit more. It's okay. And is that a one for one? Like, so you mentioned four days to make up one hour that you've missed. Um, so now you sleep four 15 minute naps and is that you're making up that debt or do you have to actually sleep longer to make up that, that one hour deficit? It's definitely not a scientific equation. For example, like everyone yeah, okay. needs different amounts of sleep. Um, some people are more comfortable with six hours, some people eight. And so knowing how you need sleep and when you feel replenished, keeping a sleep journal so you can really get down to your homeostasis, your natural way of feeling healthy, that will be really important in what you're talking about with how much do I need to catch up? Is it 15 minute increments? Is it sleeping up? taking a nap on Saturday and Sunday when I'm off work. And, you know, if you can't figure it out, we have people for that and go see a professional. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then um, what are some, like, I, I know there's talk about the, you know, the blue light that's coming from our mobile uh, phones and computers and how that reduces our naturally forming melatonin and uh, just having lights on in your house past a certain time that is all part of sleep hygiene. Are there any other aspects that uh, we should be considering uh, that will, would reduce our ability to sleep or stay yes, asleep? There are so many things that can help you sleep better. So our circadian rhythm, we actually, our bodies start preparing for sleep in the evening time before dinner. And by preparing for sleep, I mean, our bodies start reducing in temperature slightly because they're preparing to rest. And you might not feel that, but it's happening. Um, extremely important that you have a routine very important that you only use your bed for sleeping and adult activities right that your that your room is dark and cool temperatures seem to be um, what most of the research states is best is that you have a cool room to sleep in limiting screen time or having no screen time at the very least an hour before bed oh wow this would be a good time to introduce your new meditation, journaling, family time. Some people use aromatherapy. They don't drink alcohol before bed or eat extremely sugary, fattery, fatty or caffeinated food and beverages because that can mess with 
your sleep hygiene and your ability sure. to fall asleep. And then if you're trying to fall asleep and it's been more than 20 minutes, it's recommended that you get up out of your bed, out of your room, go do something. And then when you're ready to try again, come back because you don't want your bed to be a place that is known for being restless. Right. But not go get on your phone or your computer or right. your TV. Go do something right. else that's going to help to get you settled and, and back into a, a sleep. Yeah. State. I have a friend that does adult, the adult coloring books when he can't sleep. Oh, okay, nice. he'll just, yeah. Color. That's a great idea. Uh, yeah. Cause I, I still have uh, bad, bad nights at times and um, I get up and I read, but sometimes I find that even reading uh, stimulates my mind even further. And then, you know, two or three hours have gone by and I, and I yeah. haven't gone back to bed. So that's a, that's a great way of doing it is, and I know that's a mindfulness activity in and of itself is just doing the, the coloring books. I'm gonna have to try that one. And a stretching works too, like just slowly stretching, calming your body down. Nice. Yeah. These are all tips that I need to implement for sure. If, if our audience listening had any questions for you about anything we've covered today, how would they go about getting in touch with you? They can reach out to me on LinkedIn. That would be a great way. That's how we found one another. And uh, yeah, I think that brought us to the uh, the end of the show. Jessica, this is this has been awesome and enlightening. Thanks so much for coming on the show and, and sharing your background and, and your practices and, and all your knowledge with us. Uh, yeah, definitely need to start implementing some of these, these tricks you've taught us today. So... Thank you very much for being with us. You're very welcome. And thank you for doing this podcast and talking about wellness. It's such a needed topic for not only veterans, but for our culture as well. It is. It is. So thank you, John. And yeah, it's been a pleasure. For our listeners, thank you for listening to our show. Please check out Veterans Path online at veteranspath.org. We are on social media. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, and Twitter. And remember, listeners, you can directly support Veterans Path by clicking on the support button on the podcast or by visiting veteranspath.org forward slash donate. Thank you all and have a blessed day. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Veterans Path Podcast. Please follow us on social media and think about sharing your story with us there and potentially on the show. Together, we can make mental health a priority, improving and saving lives.